Welcome to Digital Health Talks. Each week, we meet with the healthcare leaders making a measurable difference in equity, access, and quality. Hear about what tech is worth investing in and what isn't as we focus on the innovations that deliver. Join me, Megan Antonelli, and my friend, Shahid Shah, for our weekly No BS Deep Dives into what's really making an impact in healthcare. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Health Impact Live. I am here now with Corinne Strom. She is the Director of Consumer Experience and Insights at Scan Health Plan. Hi, Corinne. Thanks for joining us. Hey, it's great to be back. Yeah, it's so good to see you. And in the time that we've seen each other last, you've gotten a new role at Scan, but I think you've been there for a while. Yes, um, that's But great. I'm excited to talk to you because we've talked a lot today to some MDs, providers uh, on the hospital side about kind of the patient experience and where that intersects with technology and education. And you bring a different perspective to that, you know. So tell us a little bit about Scan and your role there and how, how it came to be. And then uh, we can dig in. Great. So at Scan Health Plan, we are a Medicare Advantage plan based primarily out of California, but expanding quickly throughout the United States. We have close to 300,000 members at this time. And my role is in consumer experience and insights. I listen to the voice of the member. So when we talk from the perspective of the health system or the hospital, we'll hear the word patient. We call them members on the health plan side, or more broadly, I will use the term consumer as well. And my responsibility is to understand what happens when a member calls us. We field over a million calls annually in our contact center, and we use technology to listen to those calls at scale to understand trends and also to predict forward about what is likely to happen to a member in any number of circumstances. That's amazing. In my early conference days, I used to do a Medicare marketing conference that was very specifically about, you know, the, the running the call centers and, and managing that. I can only imagine it's come a long way since that beginning. But tell me a little bit about, you know, kind of where you guys are applying technology and, you know, sort of what the what does that technology look like right now? What does that experience look Absolutely. like? Absolutely. As you know, we're in a time of great change technologically. So there's sort of the technology that's entrenched. There's the things that we dabble in just a little bit. And then there's the, we know this is coming for us like a freight train and we're trying to prepare for it technology. What we use every day is something called natural language processing. This is the ability to understand what is being spoken, understand what is being written. It's a technology that is very anchored on human linguistics. And we are generally familiar with this in our conversations with tools today. This might be something like identify calls, or it could also be emails or other messages that we receive where someone is very unhappy, frustrated, angry. That's something called sentiment analysis. We want to know what is the underlying mood or emotion that underpins one of these uh, messages. We use other techniques, which can be extremely valuable. Again, when you're working at scale, you're looking for trends. You're looking for anomalies. What are people talking about that they didn't talk about even a week ago, a month ago? And we have techniques that look for that change in time. Beyond our natural language work, 
the predictions that we look at are predictions around satisfaction. Who is likely to be exemplifying a, a positive sentiment towards us? And if that doesn't exist, we use that to trigger what we call empathy. And we actually go and do corrective action because we feel there's an area where we could be doing better. And that generally yields a positive sentiment at the end of that engagement. We also look at members who are likely to leave. Medicare Advantage can oftentimes be a difficult transition. In LA County alone, members have over 140 Medicare Advantage plans that they can choose from across a variety of payers. That makes it very difficult to pick the one that you feel is right. And as a result, that first year or two is often fraught with what we call voluntary disenrollment. This is essentially saying this is not the right plan for me and I need to change. We try to anticipate through a predictive machine learning model who is likely to leave and who is likely to stay. Oftentimes, the issues that drive people to leave are easy enough to address through a conversation. Hey, you might have found that your medical group and your primary care physician aren't the, quite the best fit for you. Let's try and find one that is. Or you had difficulty accessing a specific supplemental benefit. Let's navigate you there. And so it oftentimes this likelihood that someone will leave, which can be run at any time during the course of the year, can actually help to just ensure that we're watching out for our members and we know when they're experiencing uncomfortable situations or areas where they just need a little helping hand to navigate. That's great. I mean, I think what's interesting, we talk a lot to the hospital side of, you know, technology Im implementers and innovators. And on the payer side, though, as you said, you're talking about your consumers, your members. It's a very different relationship. And you've always had that customer relationship, whereas it's almost like on the provider side, they're just beginning to figure out that's how they need to treat their customers um, and the patients. So in that, this type of technology, you're further along. I mean, like just in terms of the technology and, and how long you've been using it and the sentiment analysis and those types of things that you're getting. And certainly having called a pair or two myself, knowing that the emotion <laughs> tends to come through, right? Yeah. So unfortunately, it, the, the baseline for us is that a lot of our calls start with a complaint, a concern, negativity, confusion. You don't call the number on the back of your insurance card because you're in a good situation most of the time. And you're right that we are, we have been able to be ahead of this. And I think a lot of it comes from the insurance industry having a history of bearing risk. And as risk starts to shift throughout the healthcare system, you start to see more investments in technology. And so predictive models that may not have been quite as well adopted even 10 years ago are now becoming commonplace because more organizations are assuming that financial responsibility for patients or members or consumers, and they want to be part of that journey. One thing that we also have the luxury of as being a Medicare Advantage plan is our ability to look at very long-running membership. We actually have members on median um, that go years. And instead of new experiences coming in the first time that someone walks in the door, we have years of history to look back on and learn from as well. Um, that gives us a definite advantage when it comes to adopting some of the newer technologies or taking what we've learned from our prior use of predictive modeling of natural language processing and carrying that forward into some of the newer investments. A lot of my work right now 
focuses on our emerging technology work group, which I think ties in with some of the themes of today around misinformation and around hospitality in healthcare. We have learned from over four years in particular in predictive modeling, where we have out of the gate always looked for perpetuating or introducing bias into the community as a result of a model. We have looked into what we call responsible AI or machine learning, which is just ensuring that everyone is fully aware of the risks inherent in the tools that we use and in being transparent about their usage as well. I, for one, am excited about the next few years because as these tools become more commonplace, I get to talk to people about them. And so I want to have good relationships with our health systems, our supplemental benefit vendors, our caregivers to say, these are models that may be run in the course of the relationship that we have, and here's how they work, and here's what the end goal is, because the end goal is always to improve the member or the consumer experience. Yeah, that's great. There's a lot that providers can learn from your experience with it so far. We've talked a little bit today about the patient's role in kind of engagement and even the caregiver's role. Let's talk about that in terms of where you see the possibility and the potential for AI with that. So it's not just the complaint management, but with the, the, the actual um, engagement around health and, and improvement. Absolutely. I think where I am most excited is technology that we're oftentimes calling a co-pilot. This is something that has the same capabilities as some of our favorite chat-based experiences where you can go in and write something that says, you know, write me a love poem that describes the U.S. healthcare system. It will do that for you. And that's a great novelty. But what I'm truly excited about is having that help you navigate some of your own clinical experiences and deployed in a safe way that is aware of your history, your record. For now, and for the foreseeable future, I do not think these tools are likely to be substitutes for any sort of um, actual healthcare, but I can anticipate it being a place where I can ask questions about my medical record. Have I taken this medication before? When did I have that surgery? Do I have a family history of X? Things that have been recorded previously against your chart, but the challenge is that your chart is hundreds, if not thousands of pages long. And the chance of you in a moment remembering any one question or any one date is extremely limited. And I love that the technology is now there for a very conversational experience with your record. And we're seeing a lot of vendors already come right out of the gate with this type of tooling so that you're not carrying a folder with you from appointments. You're not calling your parents to ask about your grandmother who you think may or may not have had polyps in the past. And you're not really sure once it's all in, even once, you can now start to call that out through a conversational experience again and again. And that is actually the, the experience that I am most looking forward to and we are experimenting with. But right now it's purely for corporate productivity. Hey, what was that email that I sent to my boss three weeks ago? Or there was recently this PowerPoint presentation someone shared with me. What was in that? What was the timeline that we committed to? Those sorts of scenarios applied to your health record or applied even more meaningfully to an aggregate of health records truly change the healthcare experience. For sure. In terms of like the corporate productivity piece of it, right? I mean, I think 
we talk a lot about how AI is going to be the augmenter, right? And not replace doctors, not replace frontline workers, but how it will augment. And then when you think about the back office tasks, right, and how easily it can automate things, it does sort of beg the question around errors and mistakes and accuracy that are just as important or maybe not quite as important, but still important in back office as it is in the front lines of care. So talk to me a little bit about that in terms of ways that you're using it, ways that you're safeguarding, right? In that insurers are used to uh, the risk involved. So I imagine they are <laughs> protecting themselves from that as well. So t- tell me a little bit about that. Absolutely. This is the work that I am most proud of right now is what we are doing in emerging technology starts with education. I like to tell people that If you remember in high school, grade school, you were probably given a calculator, but cautioned, don't get too used to this. You're never going to have a calculator in your pocket. It's not going to be there all the time. We actually do have calculators on our watches. They're built into our devices. I'm pretty sure if I asked my car to do some math for me, it would do some math for me. But the premise is the same. With education, we can ensure that anyone who uses any emerging technology understands how it works, how it was made, and where it doesn't do as well. So sort of where those risks are. Everyone speaks about these child experiences hallucinating. And now we've gotten a lot better at having them say, hey, I think this might be the case, but I'm not confident. So they've started to become a little bit more, I think, transparent in their own limitations. And we've coached them in that way. But This knowledge of where hallucinations exist, where the limitations of the tool exist, is pretty key for everyone to understand. We also have a code of conduct that we use. So we encourage employees, colleagues to use some of these tools, but we also say, here's where we think they can be valuable. Here is an area that is not yet explored, and we discourage their use. So a lot of these tools are great at drafting content, but a human should come in and finalize that content. Or vice versa. You write something and you ask a tool to clean it up for you. Maybe you want it restructured in a few bullet points or in a table. Let it do that for you. We've also been educating people on what it looks like to go through change management. We're fundamentally changing not only business processes, but the way we interact with our tools, the way we interact with each other. Imagine from start to finish, a patient visit or a member experience is now completely rewritten because of the new tools that are being introduced. Um, These are pretty core to the way I think about adoption of any new tool. We've also been working very closely with leadership and individual contributors in the org who have ideas. Now that they've seen some of these tools in use, the question becomes, where else do you think tools like this could be interesting? So if you had this sort of omnipresent chat experience, what kinds of things would you want to ask it? And then we start to think about how we can integrate that same technology in other places. And we'll get very straightforward answers. If I call back to that early statement, members have a lot of plans to choose from and they don't know if they're going to choose the right one. What if choosing your health plan or choosing your physician when you have many ahead of you is as easy as a conversation? What can we learn from the way we've played with this in writing our love sonnets, in writing weird hybrid recipes where we mash up cuisines? What did we learn there and how do we now apply it? But then let's also think about 
number one, bad actors. Who would be misusing this and how could they be misusing it? And how do we ensure that the tool won't be utilized in that way? And then second, where are mistakes made? My job is as much about failures as it is about encouraging successes. So I want to know how things break and I want to know where they are likely to be broken. If we design a tool for one user, if it's used by someone else for a different reason and, it's, and we don't make any statement of this is a tool used for shopping support and finding the right plan, or this is a tool that can search your record but can't make recommendations, as long as we disclose the intent of the tool, I think that we will be better off. So those are a few of the sort of pillars that I think about when it comes to exploring some of the tech. Yeah, and that's so important. I mean, uh, teaching them how to use the tool and the limitations of the tool, right? And that's where you get at that. And while it's a quickly evolving tool, tool, right, in terms of how people can use it and apply it. I love this idea. I mean, I'm just thinking about it. I mean, you have these constant questions when you have health insurance, right? I mean, you kind of, you always go into the system wondering, is it going to be covered? You know, how much is covered? And you had that constant chat going with something that was attached to your benefit plan, right? Which is sort of that you have your card, but then you go online and it never really tells you exactly what you want to know. But AI would be able to mine that information for you very well and, and get you those answers. So are those the types of tools that you're building and looking at? Are they already built? Those are the Um, ones that are on our nearest radar for sure. The ones that answer the the exact same questions you just mentioned. What's my copay on Abilify? And am I covered for dental deep cleanings? Those are examples of a technology that has emerged in the last few months in particular in consumer experiences. It's called Retrieval Augmented Generation or RAG. You don't need to know the tech, but I think it's, again, it's part of that education. What this does is, We had these experiences that were really good at answering any questions, anything. They're as good at doing differential equations as they are telling you, you know, here's the history of a particular holiday and here's ways that you might observe it and then changing the language that they uh, answer that in. So now then give them access to a little bookshelf. And on that bookshelf are things that are relevant to you. For me in the health plan world, this would be something like an evidence of coverage. It's a multi-hundred page PDF file that tells you what's covered and how you get access to it. And we offer it in many languages and we offer it for each of our plans. So imagine now it's a bit of a library. What Reg does is it understands your question and it knows that the answer is somewhere in that library and it will actually give you a link and say, you are covered for one dental deep cleaning annually, but it may not exceed the cost of blah, And then it will actually give you a link and you can click the button and the reference to get to where that answer lives. Or it will say you're limited to this many dollars out of pocket. And it kind of, it starts to answer these questions for you, but always with a grounding in, where did I get this information? And so the core conversational elements are using the underlying technology of the chat experience, but the grounding of the conversation is in that little bookshelf that we have for you. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah. No, that that's incredible. I mean, it almost, you know, to some degree, it's like a patient navigator that, you know, becomes your, you know, your pocket patient navigator. It's a great tool. I'm sure someone has it. <laughs> I'm sure you can buy one, um, you know, whether it's built or not, but I'm sure 
I'm sure. It was- well, this is where things get interesting. Over the last few weeks and months, we've also seen a lot more people investing in new form factors. So although a lot of this is today constrained to us typing into a computer, we actually are in a world where people are introducing pins and necklaces and add-ons to watches and devices that sit in a room. And this is where I think the patient or the member or the consumer experience is likely to see the most change because then we start to get into natural transcriptions or conversations where no one's looking at a computer. And that gives me chills because I think we've all heard the complaints that the medical record tool, the case management tool, we have the same systems on the payer side. If we're trying to pull up information live in the course of a conversation, we're not giving you our full attention. And the moment that some of that becomes offloaded to technology becomes a real opportunity to go back to the human element. And that is going to be a big upgrade for a lot of us in 2024 and beyond is the questions will get answered. The concerns will be recorded. I've seen already, we partner with a bridge. That's an app that you'll install on your phone and it listens to the conversations. It gives you a summary. You can click through and you can actually see what was discussed. And it's in the, it's already in the context of you as the consumer. So it won't be overly technical. It won't be overly clinical. It will be in a language that's comfortable to you. That's what I'm excited about. New form factors and new ways to get access to that information. Yeah, that's amazing. And I can't wait to see it come to fruition. We just talked so much about the physician sitting at the desk and doing with their face in the computer. And when it gets to that point where it is somewhat, it's truly ambient and it's captured and it's accurate and that you have that record, it will be awesome. Um, One area in terms of just when I think about payers and when I think about their role in the stakeholder, it's in it's access, right? I mean, they're the ones who kind of provide access. Where do you see that there's opportunities for access with respect to AI and the payer role? This is something that I have spent a lot of my um, current role on, and I'm really excited about this problem space. The natural language technologies, as well as these new chat experiences, allow us to quickly get answers to questions regarding access. So what's very common for us is when people call because they are seeking a provider in their area, someone who is culturally aligned to them, who speaks their language, for example. And so that's another one of those where, number one, that RAG scenario that I I cited earlier would play really well. I'm looking for someone who speaks Spanish and is in this particular neighborhood And I would like to know if I am covered to go see this provider. That's something I can very quickly find now because that provider directory, which was mandated for interoperability reasons, can now be that that book, that material that's available to the, the conversation. What I've also been thinking about is we look for mentions of access. And that mention can be in a call or a grievance to us, or more interestingly, in Yelp reviews, in health grades, in any form of consumer reporting tool where someone gripes or reports that I tried to see this provider and I couldn't get in for three weeks. And you can start to identify that there's patterns around the way people talk about access when they say they can't get an appointment or they were scheduling a few weeks out. We've been able to mine those out of conversations and use them to say, all right, we know that you aren't able to see this particular provider because they are booked up for the next N weeks or the next N months in some cases, 
let's find you someone who is available. And so rather than right now, we can't pull and find out what someone's availability is, but we're able to pick it up again in that sort of ambient way of who is currently booking and who right now is booked out a little bit too far. That's amazing. And I mean, even just other experience elements that you must be able to mine from that. And I mean, I remember going back to those days around customer service. I mean, even just keeping the provider, you know, network addresses, all of that stuff up to date, that this must make all of that a bit easier. That's the hope. Right. (laughs) It's always the bridge between uh, the reality and the promise, right? Which is I think we're so, things are moving so quickly that we're in that space right now. And it's amazing to see what the promise is and to see it coming into practice in many places. What are some of the things in terms of what you've seen getting to practice, right? Like what are some of the improvements that you feel like are tangible that people are experiencing right now? So most of what we're seeing live today is around what I would call corporate productivity. The type of knowledge work that you do sitting at your desk that involves sending emails, scheduling meetings, creating presentations, this is where I'm seeing the most immediate impact because this is, quote unquote, safe. It's a place where you're not experimenting with anyone other than your colleagues or potentially your family members, depending on how you're asking the questions. So there's a a comic that I like to share when I'm speaking about the technology where it's I took this long email that I didn't want to read and I turned it into bullet points. And next to it is another speaker saying, I only had a couple bullet points, so I turned it into an email. And that's where we're seeing a lot right now is I have enough to get started, but I hit a wall. So help me go a little bit further from where I've begun. And I've used this for rather complex topics. The technology is great regardless of what your specific role is. So I've asked it, I work for a health plan, I'm meeting with a group of clinicians, and I'd like to talk about ways that we can partner on improving healthcare quality measures. Can you write me a day-long agenda? And so we'll write that agenda. And what's amazing is it affords four things in the agenda I would never have thought about. It also builds in breaks. So make sure there's a coffee break and maybe there's a couple icebreakers to go with that coffee break. Here's what we're going to cover at lunch. And I love that. I think that's been a phenomenal value add to a lot of our teams who work in an interdisciplinary way to sort of bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. I've also used it to create presentation shells where then I go in and I fill out the rest. And so that's the biggest and quickest win that I see. And a lot of that is available today on publicly available free tools. You just have to use your discretion about what you put in. We obviously have hard and fast rules against both protected health information and sensitive company information until we integrate and house our own tools internally that we feel have passed muster from an information security perspective. Mm-hmm. So do you have plans to do that? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm no. obviously very well, excited. I think it's interesting because, you know, just that there's the, it's sort of following the same pattern as the cloud, right? So was it, oh, the cloud, time to go to the cloud, we have to go to the cloud. And then it was like, oh, well, we all need private clouds and we all need, you know, it's all great, but you've got to have it within. And now then it's now hybrid. So how uh, AI and the language models will go through that within healthcare and all corporations, right? I mean, it's not just healthcare. 
I think Walmart last week actually had the best example of this. They released their Walmart assistant to their corporate employees. I think 50,000 or more people can use this. And it can range in questions about benefits, but it can also be a place where people share ideas. And I think that's such a phenomenal example of what other organizations can adopt is this mindset of we're going to give you a safe place to play. And it is it's company information. You're allowed to talk about company information here. But give us feedback and we can continue to evolve this together. I foresee that most organizations, even in healthcare, are likely to get there by at least next year because most of those who are already in the cloud, you'll see that your cloud vendors are encouraging you to adopt similar tools that are within your safe walled environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be so important in, the, in how they can execute and actually use these to get to that promise. In terms of just one last question around kind of that, what's next, right? I mean, you have this and you are sort of focused on the emerging technologies. Is it just the, the next evolution of this or are there other things out there that you're looking at and how they integrate? That's a great question. As I said, so if we're right now very focused on corporate productivity, next year I'm very interested in that, in bringing more to the member experience using the large language models, the technology we see in chat GPT. And that's where I mentioned this notion of being able to ask questions about someone's record. But there's organizations out there doing big scale answers. Atropos Health just released their experience for this. And I recommend everyone take a look at this because it's quite formative. Imagine asking that question over a large enough population. So instead of telling me my family history, telling me my surgical history, now you can ask questions in natural language, just as easy as we're having this conversation about entire populations. So if someone has condition X, what is the rate at which they have condition Y? Or tell me where or what community has the biggest problem with X? And being able to now sort of do population health in an in a natural language experience is I think there's something there. And I'm very excited to see how that starts to play out in the future. That's something I'll definitely be keeping an eye on. Yeah, well that is the secret sauce for sure, right? I mean it, you know, in terms of how you really can predict and and manage population health, because that's why we're here. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Corinne. I could talk about this all day with you. It's so interesting. I I am excited for your role there and to chat more and to get your perspective and hear about what you guys are doing. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. And um, look forward to next time. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this week's Health Impacts Digital Health Talk. Don't miss another podcast. Subscribe at digitalhealthtalks.com. And to join us at our next face-to-face event, visit healthimpactlive.com.